All right, welcome everybody to the very first Warrior Poet Project podcast here with my man C.K. Chin. What's up? How's everyone doing? So uh, we have no video for this podcast here, but we do uh, going straight audio. We got an hourglass turned over, the sands of time are ticking, and uh, we're going to take you on a little ride here for one hour and uh, hopefully figure some shit out in the process That's right. and see where we end up. So, uh, CK, now you are one of the hardest working individuals that I've ever come across in, uh, in, my, in my days. And, um, you know, one thing I wanted to, to ask you about and uh, get your perspective on is, you know, your motivation to keep going. Because I've watched you work taking four days off, literally four days off. This isn't no, hey, it's Sunday, let's chill out and watch football. Literally four days off in a two-year period, four days a year, <laughs> one every season, as you were uh, managing a, a fantastic restaurant at the time. <clears throat> so what is it that, that's your driving force behind, uh, behind what you do and your outlook? You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things, well, I appreciate that, <clears throat> while it's a little bit of an exaggeration probably, but you're, you're pretty close, it's probably closer to 12, you know, <laughs> a year, or once a month. Um, but the, uh, you know, the motivation behind it is really a matter of, me kind of realizing that, you know, if I don't do it, nobody will, nobody's going to help me out to do this, you know, and so I have to do it. And I, it's kind of a, it's a means to an end. It really is. You know, for me, it's like my ultimate goals in the end is to, to have a family and to be able to spend time with them. I grew up in a, in a situation where <clears throat> it was a somewhat of a broken family. And so, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to spend with, you know, my mom was working so much and then, you know, my dad wasn't around and so on and so forth. And so it's kind of like, when the time comes for me to have that, I don't want to have to deal with that. You know, I don't want to have mm-hmm. to have that struggle. And so to me, it's like, I'm not where I'm at to where I can comfortably not think about work. And that's kind of been my motivation. It's just like, you know, let's just set the chess pieces in place and set everything. It's like, a, I feel like my life is like a Rube Goldberg machine. You know, I'm talking about one of those things that the, that the ball hits the little match and the match lights the yeah. candle and the candle does it. And it's kind of like, if I set that all up and then I'm like, all right, well, I think it's set up now and I press it. And then everything just kind of falls into place. Like that's kind of how I live my life. It's like I'm gonna keep doing this and setting it up until I feel comfortable with what the end result is gonna be, and then I can sit back and kind of breathe. You know, like yeah. I'll sleep when I'm dead, kind of thing. You know. Yeah. So, so for you, you're able to kind of project what your future goals are, and then see what it's gonna to take to get there, and then you just keep that constantly in mind. Is that like something that just stays with you on your shoulder as you're putting in these hours and obviously there's some aspect of you enjoying what you do i know you're yeah, you know, enjoy being around people and and all that but um but it's not easy you know to stay that motivated so is it is it some vision of your family some vision of the future that you just keep constantly in mind like the soldier that has the picture of his girl in his, <laughs> in his wallet as he's sitting in yeah, the barracks you know i mean in a, a little bit there's that and then there's also a little bit of a you know <clears throat> I, I have i have somewhat of a you know, some, some visions of grandeur, a little bit, you know, like not so much in a monetarial sense, but, you know, I, I joke with people about it all the time where like so much of my motivation in life stems from my hatred of lines, <laughs> of like waiting in line for stuff or, or not being able to um, get to where I need to be or want to be. And there's something out of my control keeping me from doing that. And so, you know, it was kind of like, I, I, You'll hear me talk about movies all the time because I'm a bit of a movie freak. But like in Forrest Gump, when he's talking about how 
Lieutenant Dan invested in Apple for him, like a fruit company, remember? And he was like, and he told me I don't have to worry about money anymore. And he's like, oh, that's great. It was one less thing. And, and that's the, my outlook on it. It's kind of like a checklist to sit there and say, well, there's just a couple things I want to just scratch off my list and not, and not have to think about it anymore. And so a lot of this motivation stems from like, well, at the end of the day, if I look around, I go, is there more work to be done? And the answer is yes. Then I'm motivated to do it again. You know, yeah. one, one of these days, and it might never come and I might be, this mentality might set me up to be perpetually working, but you know, one of these days, you know, I hope I look around and I go, and it was good and I get to sit down, you know, and then that's, and that, that's kind of where, I don't know what, where that came from necessarily. Yeah. Cause it's not easy for people, you know, it's no, a pretty remarkable trade. I mean, <clears throat> you see it uh, all over the place and even, you know, even with myself, I think we had this, this conversation just personally the other day. I'm certainly a more of a sprinter myself. You know, yeah. I can put an incredible output for a short period of time, and then I gotta, I gotta relax. I gotta get my electrolytes in. <laughs> I gotta go talk to the crowd. You know, but but at least my ability to focus for a brief period and just blast and not let any distractions hit me and and reach full capacity for a short while has served me. But you know, <clears throat> I you know the, I really admire the people who can maintain a constant level of output like that for you but there's a lot of people who have just a lot, a lot of trouble with the motivation for either you know i think that uh we as a culture especially our generation you know i put ourselves in the same generation is and it has a problem with entitlement you know and i think that the problem is that i think a lot of people feel like some things are owed to them you know that i feel that you know there's i read an article the other day that says that you know there's certain things that we have an expectation and, and because of the media is being so rampant and there's advertising at every angle that you can't look at anything without advertisement anymore. And it, on a level of, even on a subconscious level, it tells you that this is what you're owed. Meaning, you know, this goofy guy with sipping a coffee, all of a sudden this crazy hot Italian girl shows up in mm -hmm. a badass, you know, Italian sports car and you as a person, no matter not knowing your surroundings, not even fully realizing where you are in life, feel like that is ultimately owed to you. And you almost feel like at the end, rather than blaming yourself, saying that, man, I didn't achieve what I should have achieved. You're like, man, I wasn't given what I was owed. Yeah. You know, and I think that that causes people to, to sit back and mope, you yeah. know, to sit down and go, Man, you know, it's like all you have to do is watch infomercials, you know, and realize that you're like, you really think that this is a whole culture of people at four o'clock in the morning eating Cheetos, sitting <laughs> there going, yo, there's this new, there's this new exercise equipment, dog. If I grab it, if I buy it, I'll get a six pack. I promise, you know, yeah. this is amazing. And you're like, you're not owed a six pack. Those people work for that. Like, it's yeah. not, you know, that's yeah. not the way it works. So, so what, you know, <clears throat> we're going to be talking more about this as we talk, uh, you know, kind of utopia theory and, and whatnot coming up. But, um, you know, do you think there was some some way in which you were raised or perhaps uh, some part of your culture? For, for those of you who can't see the very large Chinese man uh, <laughs> sitting in front of me, CK is, is Chinese, and so he is, uh, comes from a different culture than, uh, than I do. And uh, so when I reference that, that's what you'll get, despite his very white, baritone voice. Right. <laughs> um. Absolutely. Uh, it's, I, I talk about it before. My mother, actually, I was probably, man, I had, had to be eight or nine. Um, 
mentioned to me one time and just in, in passing it wasn't like you know it's, it's not something it wasn't too dramatic when like she sent me down and you know had a whole ceremony or anything but you know he was just like you know I was born in North Carolina so I'm a I'm an American through and through born on American soil I'm not even like an American citizen I'm just I'm an American you know mm-hmm. but you know she made it a point to sit there and says you know you look Chinese nobody's gonna look at you and go hey you know, look at that American guy over there. You know, I, I, at this point in our culture, you know, there's still some degree of like looking at somebody and categorizing them by their ethnicity a little bit rather than their nationality. Yeah. You know, which is fine. I'm not. I'm not arguing anything about that. That's a whole other podcast we can mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <clears throat> but there, one of the things she said was, you have to realize that when you do something, you're not only representing yourself, you're representing your entire culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, I'm like eight. You know, yeah. but she's like, yeah, heavy. Yeah, when, heavy, yeah. When you do something, yeah, they're not gonna go, oh man, CK is stupid or CK is lazy or CK is this. He's gonna be like, man, Chinese people are lazy. You know, yeah, yeah. oh, Chinese people don't know how to do this and stuff like that. And you know, I thought about that. And it's like, you know, it's it, it, she has a point. There's a legitimacy to it a little bit because stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. You know, and th- there's a reason why we fall victim or we we fall into this trap of of deciding that because I think that's human nature. I think your, your, your brain is naturally categorical. You need to, you know, we talked about it before. If you got, if a caveman got mauled by a tiger, came back and was like, yo, this thing with stripes <laughs> fucked my boy up. Yeah. Then you see a zebra, you're going to be like, don't get into that, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you need to have that. Pattern level. building is Pattern part of survival. Part of survival. Absolutely. Yeah. Being able to recognize that. And so, you know, and so, that really stuck with me. I really remember that because it's true. It's like, I feel like I'm representative of a lot of things. And it even got to the point where and ended up not doing it. But, you know, I think about legacy a lot because, you know, I still carry my dad's name. My dad really didn't do very much to raise me. And at one point I almost changed my last name to my mother's name. Mm-hmm. And cause I was like, you know what, let's say I do become something great. And 2000 years from now, they're going to learn about me. And they're not going to remember my mother's my mother's side of the family that did all the work. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, you know, I never did. I feel like you know it's a it's a little bit dramatic and stuff. You know, and I think that you know if I make my mark deep enough, people will do their sure. research. But you know, but that did. I, I actually legitimately thought about that. It was like, man, maybe I should, maybe yeah, I should, yeah, because change. Because legacy. I think that is a good. That's a really good point because for so many people, we don't have that sense of legacy or that sense of culture or that sense of tribe that used to exist you know and i think there's some social reinforcing pride that uh that can help keep you in line and keep you motivated and keep you wanting to work uh you know for the benefit of others that we just don't have i mean right now you know it's it's just really kind of weird homogenous but still isolated almost solipsistic culture where people don't hardly even talk on the phone they're just texting you know they're communicating through more electronic means and they're getting more isolated even as they're pretending like they're more connected through this world wide web but really you feel less a part of a group and uh you know and the idea of your name lasting immortally you know that was the biggest deal for the ancients in antiquity and ancient greeks and romans it was your name will live forever you know and that was a big fucking deal and that was they really cared about that but here you know it's it's not really about that it's more like FBGM, you know, fuck bitches, get money and, right. and, and whatever, <clears throat> whatever. So when you're, when your goals are less about legacy and more about immediate satisfaction, um, 
it's, I think, harder for some people to kind of put off the daily pleasure to seek, you know, ultimate making your mark and having a, having a big legacy. So I think there's a lot of issues at play. And I think, you know, for you, having that sense of culture and then having a belief that you want to carry your name, you know, and make a mark in history, I think is maybe getting down to the root of what allows you to, you know, put in that kind of sacrifice and put in that kind of effort that's coming out uh, with success. I know you got a great restaurant opening up here coming up soon for everybody in Austin, Texas. Keep a lookout for Swift's Attic. It's dope. It's delicious. <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. It's true. You know, uh, I think that <clears throat> the the foresight or the, the like what you said is the people's looking towards what goes beyond their immediate life, or even their immediate timing that they're still going to be alive. They're not even looking at their end game. You know, there's a joke about you know that you know we live now. Like, who cares? The last few years, nobody's look, thinking about their retirement plan. Most people aren't. You mm-hmm. know, they're like. That's why there's diabetes. Like I'm gonna yeah. eat the second hamburger now. Why not? Yeah. Um, well, you know, but also you see it's systemic because you know there's a situation where the the evolution, in my opinion, has halted the human race to a certain degree mm-hmm. because we have no natural predators and the strongest and best aren't passing on their their yeah. seed. They're, yeah. they're not passing on their genes. It's it's a matter of the actual opposite. It's it's the, the the dumber and the less apt are the ones that end up breeding. And, yeah. You know, I talk about how in the last well, not necessarily breeding, but at least reproducing. <laughs> reproducing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We got. I mean, the, the best are still breeding, but they're just not creating babies. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, and but that's it. You know, I remember it's funny. One of my good friends, Elizabeth, <clears throat> she uh, she's amazing. Uh, she owns her own movie studio. She's, uh, she's an amazing human being. Uh, you know, I look up to her a lot. I'm a big mentor and everything. And she has six kids. And she was like, CK, you, know, you owe it to society to have as many kids as your wife will let you. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And she's like, seriously, you've got to combat all those idiots having kids right now. You know, while you're trying to lay out the foundation for your life and your family's life, they're just popping out babies. Snooki's yeah. pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. That's all you have to see. Look into that, and then, you know, it's the uh, that first scene of uh, uh, Idiocracy. You seen that scene? You seen that no, one? I haven't. And it talks about that. It just talks about how it shows this case study, and it's like these two couples sitting there, and it's like Tom IQ one thirty five, Mary IQ one forty eight, and they're like, yeah, you know, we just got married. You know, Tom's starting his you know radiology practice, and. I'm, you know, starting my law practice, and we just don't have time for kids right now. And then they cut to Billy Bob. She's he's drinking a beer, holding a baby on his lap. His wife's got a baby, drinking a beer, looking at a pregnancy thing, and like, damn it, I'm pregnant again. And they got little kids running around, and it's like that's exactly the case. You know, this last year, I would say maybe I I knew ten ten of my friends that have got pregnant, and I would say more than half, I was like. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, are you sure? You know, because it's like it's one of those things, and you know, it's it's a concern that that the that is not a priority amongst mm-hmm. the highly motivated and the the ambitious. Yeah, because it almost seems like it's standing in our way. Yeah. So what is it? Uh, and 
Do you mind putting the put the microphone a little bit closer to in between us? It might help a little bit on the on the levels. Um, so you bring up a, a couple interesting points here, and that certainly appears to be an issue, and it's an issue that's relatively recent. Um, you know, back well, first of all, if you go all, go all the way back to the state of nature, then at that point, you know, it truly is sexual, you know, survival of the fittest. You know, the alpha male, whoever's the most fierce, the most cunning, uh, the best, will, you know, reproduce with as many women as possible. And that carried on through the human, you know, genome for quite a long time. And probably, you know, if you counted illegitimate children <laughs> as well, you know, it counted probably up until the, you know, 1900s almost, where mistresses were, and, you know, bastards, when the name bastard actually meant something, you know, there they had their wives, they had their mistresses, they were pretty prolific in the people they passed their genetics on to and, and kept. And then but now in our day and age it's just simply not happening. And so this is it's almost like we're in a transitionary phase. You know, we've gone from the state of nature where which is pretty brutal and pretty you know, is not always an optimal state of of being for the women in the species and everything else, but it made, you know, it made some sense for passing on the genetics. And then we're at this stage now, which is kind of this, almost a tra it almost feels like a transitionary phase because it feels like it can't be sustainable. You know, the best, right. for evolution to continue on a positive line, we can't keep having the best and brightest producing one child and, you know, the least common denominator producing eight, you know, or That's 10. Right. You know, it's just right. going to, we're going to end up, devolving to a certain degree, at least, at least in, in a lot of key areas. So, you know, it's, it seems like there has to be a different system to develop or at least some kind of reduction in general numbers or pockets that could work or something. And, and we're almost getting into our utopia idea right now, which is, you know, something I certainly want to talk about, but you know, how, how does this get reversed? You know, I, I, you're right. I think that it's a, it's a fairly recent thing. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, um, gender roles are really blurred right now. You know, I think that what ended up happening is ultimately, you know, there is a, you know, you mentioned the alpha male concept. But a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, you know, the procreation aspect of the relationship, the procreation aspect of, of you know, humans on this planet is, has become unglamorous. Um, you know, I, I struggle with it with my, I have a younger sister and I struggle with it because she's a very successful, um, you know, she's got a, an, a master's in accounting from UT, you know, and she's working at New York, Manhattan with PricewaterhouseCooper, you know, giant firm. And if she told me next week, Hey, I found a guy, I'm going to sit at home and I'm going to pop out a bunch of babies. I would struggle with that concept, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but in all actuality, what I just said 30 seconds ago yeah. argues that, that do it. Yeah. You know, you absolutely should like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like, we find that struggle because our, our, you know, that dissonance that happens in, in our brain, because what's attractive to me is a woman that's motivated who's has their own life, has their own mind, has their own career. Mm -hmm. But then somewhere along those lines, it's like, 
yeah, you'd be prepared to make a sacrifice, the biggest sacrifice of everything you've worked for thus far, take it on hold for a little bit and let's pop out and let's plan for the next generation kind of thing, you know, and it, and that's a very contradictory statement, you know, but I think society has not viewed that as a, as a goal, yeah. you know, it's like, I think that people would be laughed off of Ivy League schools if Ivy League started going or women's live movements would go crazy if Ivy Leagues or Harvard was like, we're going to pass a mother studies, yeah. you know, that women can major in being a mother yeah. and go in there and learn how to be a proper mother and learn how to be, you know, a good parent and blah, blah, blah. And that's an actual, like, degree, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because that seems misogynistic yeah. when, in fact, you know, what we're saying is that they hold the one of the most important things in the earth on the on the planet is the most important thing is procreation, the ability to procreate. You know? Yeah. And so I think that there's a until that changes, which I don't know how that could possibly change, but again, because I, I in my head there's a there's dissonance right there. But until that changes, it's going to be real difficult because again, then it becomes it's it's accidental or yeah. the rare occasion where people get married and yeah. it's just a natural tendency for them. Yeah. It, you know, there, it's been explored in, in all these dystopic kind of uh, movies and things like Gattaca and things like that, where they've come up with some artificial solution where they're modifying genes and doing some, or some other form of eugenics. And even the, the word eugenics has a really nasty, bad yes. connotation. almost yes. like, ugh, you know, like you don't want to, don't want to do that, but there has to be another solution. And the only thing that I can think of is breaking units back smaller. You know, like if you get back to the tribal kind of unit, which is a unit of, you know, couple hundred closely banded individuals, you know, at that point you start looking for the welfare of the tribe through the future, right. you know, and then so passing on your kids to be functioning and powerful members of the tribe becomes a priority again. You know, you need to create that. And there's also some kind of, you know, when there's a limited amount of mouths to feed as well, you know, if you got, if you got, you know, the, the lazy drunk of your tribe, you know, trying to keep having kids, the rest of the tribe is like, yo, like, listen, you know, you need to contribute A, yourself, but B, you know, you can't be producing all of the mouths that we're going to have to feed. You know, you got to chill out. <laughs> you got to find another method, you know, right. here's the pullout method, <laughs> like yeah. give, give it a shot, you know, like yeah. whatever. So there's some kind of societal reinforcing fact, but right now everything is so big <clears throat> that it seems like it's, it's almost impossible to, to kind of have that sense of community that would actually help create that. And certainly, you know, one major factor is, um, you know, religions have suppressed birth control and that whole concept since the beginning, you know, sure. because the more, the more Catholics that have babies, the more Catholics there'll be in, in 15 yeah. years or, or sure. whatever. So, so they're just re encouraging rampant reproduction at levels that are not ultimately sustainable. sustainable. Yeah. I mean, it's the Malthusian equation, you know, and that's another problem. Our, our population is expanding geometrically, but food production can only expand arithmetically. Of course. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, you have that, what you, what you said was, was, you know, correct in the sense of that in a, in a tribal society, in a, in a society of a smaller size, the accountability effect, kind of tying back to what I was saying before about accountability. I mean, at one point in time, you and I being friends, when you have kids, 
if I see your kid doing something stupid on the street, I'm going to go slap him upside the head and go, and I know that Chris would want me to do this. Well, yeah. Aubrey, would, Aubrey would want me to do this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is, yeah. I'm going to call your dad and let him know that I beat beat you down in the middle of the street because you were <laughs> doing something stupid. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you were doing something. And I held that accountable. Nowadays, that has fallen off. Um, you look at these kids going crazy in a grocery store with their parents nowhere to be seen. And you feel like I should be able to just go and pick one up and drop them off in the front, tie them to a stool up there and be like, I'm going to go find your parents and just wait right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But nobody does that. And it's kind of like it's a, it's one of those things that the accountability has fallen away from all of us and trying to rise us up as a, like, you know, the rising tide raises all ships. Mm-hmm. It's like now we're just... For, for us, me and me and me and me. And even yeah. parents are like me thinking like, how am I supposed to still have a good time when I've got this kid? I'm yeah. find a, you know what I'm talking about? Everything's me. I was an elementary school, uh, elementary education major in college. Mm-hmm. And I did student teaching for a while, third grade. And I can't tell you how many times during the parent-teacher conference, the parent will come in and go, hey, Mr. Chin, why did my son get a C on this assignment? And I'm like, Talk to your son. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Look at it. Yeah. He messed up. He got these answers wrong. It's mad. There's right. no, you know? And it was kind of like the understanding. I'm like, what in the world? And again, this goes back to that entitlement issue. I'm like, maybe your son's not smart and needs extra help. Yeah. You know? It's not, I think, I was like, the downfall of man happened when we created the eighth place trophy. <laughs> yeah you know what I mean I hear you. society I hear well. we're like we can't all be winners yeah and we shouldn't yeah it's dumb that is a it, it, it makes people not motivated it makes people sit back and go you know what because people are okay with just getting something yeah you know rather than going man there is a gold a silver and a bronze yeah and uh, everyone that also rans like man like that sucks. Like, you should, as a parent, stare and go, man, we'll get them next time. I don't think you should necessarily walk home and go, like, you suck. I can't believe you didn't win anything. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you shouldn't be like, yeah, you got ninth place. Like, yeah, good for yeah. you. Like, no, right. man, not good for you. Like, Because then when they get back out into society, you know, that yeah. doesn't hold. <laughs> you know, that doesn't hold. It doesn't hold. Yeah. And But I see that so much. And like I said, especially even at that age. even at And, and, and again, it's, it's, it starts with the parents. It starts with... That age, it starts at that level where you literally come by and go, why is my son failing your class? And I'm like, because your son is not doing his work. He's not up to par with the rest of the students. He needs help. Right. Right. You know, I don't think you need to go all the way to the Asian side. We're a little bit too strict. We're like, hey, I got a 98. What happened to a little two points? Go sit in the corner. <laughs> like yeah. kind of level. Yeah. You know, but at the same point, it's kind of like it's true. It's like, you know, do aim towards that level of perfection. You know, I think that it's funny that you mentioned culturally. I mean, I remember I used to go tell my mom cause you know, some of my more, um, more quote unquote American friends would come by and tell me like, yeah, you know, my mom gives me a 20 bucks every time I make an A and 10 bucks if I get a B, you know, and I'm like, you know, I don't get busted my ass and get hit <laughs> if I don't get a B, if I get an A, you know. Yeah. And I remember one time I told my mom, and like, I went up and I was all happy and proud. I was like, hey, mom, I cleaned my room without you asking, you know. And she looked at me and she was like, you're supposed to clean your room. <laughs> She's like, well, why am I going to give you any level of 
props for that. She didn't say props, but yeah. she's like, why am I going to give you level any level of pr- uh, praise for that? For cleaning your room. He was like, if you clean my room, then I will, <laughs> right. I will give you right. some That's some above praise. and beyond. It's above and beyond. The basic expected. level but, of what you should Yeah, matter of fact, providing. if you don't clean your room, like I was about to come by and knock you out of bed to clean your room, yeah. but you did it yourself, you're supposed to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to give you any props. Yeah. So, you know, I think the... <clears throat> That's so the very smallest unit of organization is the family unit. Right. And I think if if at least that is solid and there's a certain level of accountability in the family unit itself, then I think it produces, you know, children that are you know, well functioning and you know, strong contributors. If you have that at least that one base unit to fall back on. Usually you know, it used to be or it could be that you have both the family unit and the tribal unit. And then a strong sense of pride in the state unit or whatever larger entity, and it can keep going out, and you can still feel responsibilities to the larger entities. But right now, I mean, nobody really feels that. We mistrust our government because they're corrupt as fuck in a lot of ways. Um, we don't have that same pride in America, so that unit's you know fallen. There's some you know abstract state pride, but nobody really cares that much, you know, and there's absolutely no sense of tribe anymore, you know, for most people. Sure. And and then even all the way back down to the family unit, that is not succeeding in a lot of ways as well. So there's almost no organizational structure that provides this sense of responsibility and, and commitment to anything outside yourself. So you get these very egocentric kind of focused um thinking, which uh, ultimately is not going to provide a, a beneficial community to all, you know, if everybody's sure. just out for a quick grab for themselves, I think. And I think we're starting to see some of that consciousness shift a little bit. But the problem is we're so big now, you know, it's so unwieldy, the amount of people we have and the amount of ignorance that it still exists. It's massive. It's, I mean, it's, it's incredible. That's why, for me, the utopia concept is so appealing because I don't have to deal with this big problem of these billions of people who have just been on the wrong direction, on the wrong path, haven't been, you know, their spirituality has either been tainted by some misguidings from, you know, organized religion or just not cultivated at all because they've thrown out the ideas of religion. They're like, that's bullshit, so there's no God because everybody's talking about God. I can tell that's wrong. So you have smart people who are atheists. And then you have other people who are just blindly following what some, you know, power-hungry church leaders had created. And then so, you know, you have these just masses, masses of individuals, you know, I mean, people who are going to go out and vote for Rick Santorum, you know, for example, (laughs) you know, at at some point. And, And how do you deal with those individuals? How do you change their mind? You know, I mean, I think... Uh, there was, I forget the exact quote, but some, some Catholic says, you know, uh, give me a child till he's seven and I'll have a Catholic for life or something like that. You know, it's like if you get ingrained in a certain path, it's so hard to change, you know, especially when the big mind blowing, when the changers, you know, the sledgehammers that can make massive course corrections, the psychedelics are made illegal. You know, I mean, like, if, if you take some of these individuals and you go and give them a, a 24, 36-hour aboga experience, well, you know what? Maybe they'll change, you know? And you see that with these heroin addicts and the amazing cure rates you get from them. People with ingrained, you know, physical addictions, mental addictions, 
they can get some kind of massive course correction through that. And that's a possibility. But if you make that illegal and you have these masses of people and there's tons of people, even if it was legal, there's tons of people who'd be scared, you know, scared to death of it and would never do it. I mean, it's so hard to change your own mind, let alone anybody else's mind. So it becomes a state where it's almost like, fuck, like what, you know, what can we do? How do we, how do we improve these masses of individuals? I mean, we could, we could have a dinner party and probably change a couple minds, but there's millions more. And, and, you know, and we, we talk about it and it's so much has to do with, you know, the, eventually there needs to be a, a coup d'etat, right? There needs to be a, a, a situation where enough is enough. And, you know, a few of us have sit there and say that you're right. Uh, you talk about the utopian and the only way it's, it can exist is in, in, in a smaller setting. Because again, I, I believe that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's, it's one of those things that I used to joke about all the time. I could never be a cop because not because I'd be corrupt in the movie John Woo type sense, you know, in the, uh, you know, that level of, of that type of thing, but more of along the lines of if I pulled you over and I'd be like, and Aubrey, get out of here. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm talking about? And, and it's just one of those things that eventually, you know, it makes sense that people, that, that I think there's a tendency of people to be followers or leaders. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that the utopian sense is saying that we work as a team and some people are just okay with playing their role. But then eventually, and I see this on a very microcosm level at the restaurant that I run, is because there are people who naturally stand out as leaders and then you make them into have some sort of authoritative level, some sort of authority managers or head people, head, head key holding employees or whatever. But somewhere along the line, you make the mistake and you promote the wrong person mm -hmm. and it causes a systemic problem. Yeah. Right. And so it's kind of, I feel like there a lot of it has to do with just raising people to value education again. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, the college and and higher learning and even regular school has become a, a trade school. It has been, um, whereas the the person of saying that, hey, we need to get a degree, and you're like, why do you need a degree? So I can get a high-paid job. And you're like, no, fool. Like, that's not why you need a degree. The sheet of yeah. paper doesn't make you any more educated than the next person. Yeah. You know, there's people I know that has stumbled drunkenly through college and ended up with a sheet of paper that said that they spent four years and $80,000 and, yeah. and got this sheet of paper. And they're no more educated than somebody with a public library card that sits down and reads every day. Yeah. You know? and, but that is not valuable anymore. It's not. It is the end results that has become these, these physical, tangible results that have become what's attractive to people. You know, we talked about it as a man, you know, we want to attain certain things in order to attract females into our world, into our life. But I can't sit there and at a nightclub and start spouting Nietzsche and all of a sudden a whole slew of these girls are going to come up and be like, oh my God, that dude's smart. Yeah. You know, like I really want to talk to him well, because he seems like he might be changing the world. It, it helps if I was spouting Nietzsche with a bottle of Dom in yeah. my hand <laughs> and a bottle service and yeah. pulling up in a Maserati. Like, that's, that's, actually, that's actually a very interesting point as well. It's almost like, you know, because ultimately for, 
for men at least, and, and I think you know there would be another analysis here that we can probably go in for, for female motivation. But for men, so much comes down to women. Yes. You know, I mean, so I think uh, Onassis, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy's um, husband, you know, after after JFK, said, uh, you know, if it wasn't for women, money wouldn't matter. You know, I mean, he was like straight up, and he was one of the wealthiest men men in the world. And I think that's a that's a big part. I mean, it's that's the ultimate that's the ultimate goal, really. Is is that? And I think it's become it's come to the point where, you know, we're molding ourselves in the way that that produces the most desirable effect and that's not you know knowing Nietzsche and knowing philosophy and being a well-rounded you know it individual like that I mean it will certainly in certain relationships and you'll meet some some you know a girl here or there that'll really appreciate your talents but you know back you know back a while ago you know the the poets would be the ones that were getting the girls or in ancient Greece and Rome the philosophers were the kings you know yeah Socrates was he could get all the little boys he wanted <laughs> yeah. you know because of his mind I mean, yeah. he had, apparently according to all other accounts he was physically completely unattractive but he could get any girl or any boy uh, that he wanted in all of Greece because of his mind and that's really not the case anymore that's just not really truly valued by the opposite sex so we're almost it's almost like a reaction as a reaction to that we're not cultivating that and appreciating that in a certain way and it's kind of a fucked up thing because you think like oh you should appreciate that for its own sake and some and some of us do but if you're not getting any positive reinforcement for it you know i think the masses are not going to adopt to it you know most people are not going to do it i mean i was a philosophy major but i had no and that was just because it was super interesting to me, you know, and I liked figuring shit out. And I was, right. you know, uh, that was that was it. But I had no no qualms that this would eventually, you know, some girl would be like, man, <laughs> what a ph- philosophical mind you have, you know. So it, that, that never crossed the way. And if that was the case, if that was really valued and appreciated, I think maybe the tide would turn. And, yeah, and you know what it is? It's initially, I think that if you ask 100 women, 99 and 99 of them plus the last one even would even waver and, and probably in that way and say that intelligence is a very important feature but the fact of the matter is it's it's secondary initially until mm-hmm. you realize that the the after effects the the the, the ultimate consequences of a lack of intelligence. You don't realize the trickle down theory of somebody going, why is it that this dude who I've met, who is cool and funny, which comes from intelligence, Mm -hmm. which who who has a job, blah, 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 blah. And then can't hold on to that job or tends to do, make stupid decisions and blah, 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 blah. And at the very end you go, because he's dumb. Like that's why, like like he, he's, he is not an intelligent person. Yeah. And, these are the ramifications of that said situation. Um, you know, it's, it's, I read somewhere the other day, there's like, you know, when will women realize, especially right now, there's this nerd chic. They talk about nerd chic, uh-huh. right? You know, yeah. the glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something really fashionable about being nerdy. And all these women's like, you know, we love nerds. Like, you don't love nerds. You love, you love hot guys in glasses. <laughs> like, it's a difference, you know, because, yeah. the, because the nerds, the geeks, you know, the dweebs of all these, of the world, you know, they, they, 
there, there's only enough time in the day to do uh, X number of things and to educate yourself that takes a lot of time out of your day, you know? And sometimes that doesn't allow you to perfect other aspects and you have to have that balance. You have to sit there, just like you said, I, you know, you and I had a private conversation that said that, no, I need to maintain a little bit of balance, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, I'm spending all my work maintaining a level of, you know, like success or trying to work towards a certain level of success. But I've got to also not forget how to talk to people. Yeah. You know, I can't, yeah. I can't forget how to do that. I can't neglect the fact that physically over the last three months of me working at this, you know, on this restaurant and sleeping very little that I look in the mirror and go, man, I'm looking rough. <laughs> yeah. Like I need to probably go back to the gym. I need to yeah. get a haircut. Like these yeah. type of <laughs> yeah. basic grooming, yeah. you know, needs to probably be, it needs to be on the forefront where some people, that's on their forefront and then all yeah. of a sudden goes, everything else. Yeah. Maybe I should work. <laughs> My basic math is not where it needs to be, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, and, and stuff like that. And so, uh, I think you're right. I think that, you know, I think that this, it, there needs to be a change. And, and, and that's why it's, it's funny, you know, uh, that I, I do say that there is a degree of, of that what's valuable to the opposite sex will dictate a lot of it, uh -huh. you know, but can that change in within our lifetime? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. You know, I, I think there was, even when I was going to high school, you know, when I was, when I was going to high school, I was trying for whatever reason. And I, I don't, I don't know why I had this concept, but you know, I was striving to be that kind of Renaissance, you know, warrior poet, I guess, from the books that I would read and, and of antiquity. And, and I was, I was, so I was going to high school and I would, I would write poetry and I would play basketball and I was, you know, attacking on all fronts and trying, and I was getting good grades and I was doing that. And I was so bummed out because all of the best looking girls were hooking up with like the total burnouts, people that didn't give a fuck. They like didn't shave. They didn't like, they didn't shower often, you know, they just smoked some weed sometimes and just hung out and they were, you know, pretty dull individuals, but they were, they were cool, I guess then, because they were this kind of counterculture and, you know, and so, and they would get all of the best looking girls. I remember finally in my junior year, I asked this one girl to prom and she was really good looking, like this tall, modely looking kind of girl. And uh, she said yes, and I was pretty stoked. And then, like three days later, <clears throat> she gets in a relationship. This total burnout, like total burnout. And I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, why don't you guys go to the prom together? And so I talked to the guy, and he's like, nah, nah, man, it's cool. You take her. You know, you take her. I don't want to have to deal with all this shit. And I was like, uh, no, like I really don't want to take her. Like this is your girlfriend. Like fucking right. take her. This is what's right. This is what's proper it's your girl right, right. you know but and that's that just wasn't the case so at some point there has been this kind of resistance against that that kind of idea that was in the that existed probably for most of the time but there's been this kind of counterculture this postmodern reaction to that type of individual i think that's been part of the deal now that's kind of corrected more as we've gotten older and the burnouts are you know they've become a little more boring and you know, people who are achieving things are a bit more interesting. At least they have more money, which is, seems to be very, interesting. you know, <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, the ultimate, the ultimate uh, 
surprise. But I don't know how, I, and I think, you know, I think it maybe goes back to, again, a, a smaller unit or a different stress, a different way to educate. You know, I mean, back, back in the day, there was no television and there was no, none of this other stuff. So interesting philosophy would pass hours of the day and captivate people, you know, and a great poem recited would, you know, leave someone spellbound, you know, where now uh, I think the mediums that are expressing, and I think it goes to the idolization of Hollywood. I mean, I think it's movies now. Yeah, we're oversaturated. You know, it's movies and, and these other things that are becoming interesting. So it's the movie stars that are that are <clears throat> valuable, not the philosophers, not the poets, not the, right. the writers, not... Those are... They are not the ones in the, in the limelight. So I think... Um, you know, I think that's, and not that, not that movie making can't be a powerful art form and acting on itself. I mean, back in antiquity, actors were, were valued as well, but not to this wild extent where some reality star, just because their face was on TV and they took some shots and hooked up with some people on a TV show, makes them famous, makes them cool, makes them, you know, the alpha in society. It's right. a, a weird situation. Right, even the talentless have all of a sudden yeah. maintained some level of uh, idolization. You know, it's it's a. I think it's 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 funny to think of it in those terms, but yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a matter of. You know, I, I talk about an oversaturation of a lot of things. You know, our, our what's what the, the amount of data that we're taking in on a daily basis now is astronomical compared to back in the day. I always talk about right now, one of the biggest shortcomings that has come, one of the biggest setbacks, and you know, a lot of people probably won't agree with me, but is um, 24-hour news networks. Because back in the day, if something were to make the news, right, to the town crier or whatever it was, yeah. it was pretty important. I mean, you only had so much to talk about. Uh, but now, twenty-four hour news network. We can sit there and we have just people like us, like you and I, right now, just sitting here talking, and we're just talking. We're we're we're, we're talking to see what what we can come up with, and we're trying yeah. to solve the world. But these people are talking to millions of people, yeah. And we're trained to believe that these guys are trained to have some level of intellectual conversation. Sure. You know whether or not you and I are smarter than the average person is irrelevant, but. If we were on Fox News or MSNBC, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter who we are. People watch us and go, yo, these guys are on TV. We better yeah, take a listen to so see what they're talking about. Some kind of validation. Some kind of validation. And, and, and then all we talk about is our opinions and, yeah. and whether or not – and then all of a sudden, it becomes truth because, again, I think that the, the, the lack of want to fact check mm-hmm. and vet – Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't looking up. Like, if I said a word, if we said solipsis, right? You talk about solipsis, and you didn't know what solipsis was. Mm-hmm. Nobody went to go look that word up right now. Yeah, maybe they did now. Now that I said that, <laughs> now that I called them out yeah, yeah, and yeah, said, yeah. "Hey, look, jackass, you didn't know what I just said. Yeah. That whole sentence made no sense to you because Aubrey said solipsic, and yeah. you were like lipstick." Yeah. And you were like, what the hell is he talking about? But the fact of the matter is, you know, the the idea of. Uh, of that, it, it, nobody does their own fact checking. You know, it's it goes with the line of this whole viral marketing. This whole and everything's viral now. Things well, I, yeah, crazy. I think you know. I think we're coming to a point though where 
people are starting to make more fact checks. Like this, this consciousness is coming. Like I know that, you know, it used to be probably, yeah, in the 80s, they got away with a fucking ton because if you were on the news and you were saying some shit, people just believed it. You know, right. They just believed it. But now people are getting skeptical. skeptical. You know, right. they're like, fuck these motherfuckers. They're lying to us. And more often than not, they come up and find out that they're right, that they are lying and that there is some kind of shading of the truth. There is some kind of, you know, I mean, it's it's so funny that, you know, it's so obvious that a news network like Fox has a bias to the right, you know, to the conservative side. And then another network will have a bias to the left. And it's just accepted. Like, that's cool. Like, okay, that's cool. You know, these are news providers are doing it. So I think almost that whole, that whole methodology is, is going to have to crash. It's going to crash at some point. It has to. You think, but then there's so many people, you know, we have, we're talking to the people listening to this podcast, the people who listen to Rogan's podcast. That's an, that's a subset of individuals, you know, they're not the ones sustaining the news networks. And are we even touching those other people? You know, do they, you know, you hear people, those, you hear people talking about Occupy Wall Street, you know, they're like, they just, oh yeah, it's a bunch of, just a place where a bunch of homeless people can go and hang out for free and camp out. You know, it's like, they're missing the whole fucking point. You're like, yeah, all right, there's some homeless people that are like, all right, sweet. You know, there's tents here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chill. But that's not the point, right. you know. And they can't even see the point when all of this whole, their whole city is getting changed by an ideal. You know, this anarchist kind of reevaluation of the corruption of our society. That idea of the Occupy movement is just completely, it just goes over their head. They don't even, it doesn't even touch them. So... It's it's a it's a weird you know when I think about it because I really want to make a difference and I know you do and I know Joe Rogan does and I know a lot of people do but it almost becomes like what the how the fuck are we gonna get you know not just our listeners but everybody to kind of wake up and pay attention and I think things probably unfortunately are gonna have to get a bit worse you know there's gonna have to be a bit more pain either economically or environmentally or something. For people to really kind of wake up and take notice and be like, all right, something systemically is fucked up and we need to change our thinking. We need to change our actions um, or we're going to be heading, you know, down a very wrong path. And I think that I think you're right with it getting worse. It, it's, you know, so there's something harsh about it. You know, I think there's something, you know, we talk about nature and, and, and stuff. Nature is cruel. You know, they're because it's unbiased, eh, in in the essence of, of an emotional bias. Yeah, sure. It's, it's unbiased. I mean, I used to talk about it all the time, and it sounds bad because I've got a lot of friends with food allergies. But we talk about food allergies mm-hmm. is um, a somewhat of a problem, meaning that there's nobody in some of these third world countries that has glucose allergy. Uh, sorry, yeah. gluten allergy. Gluten yeah. allergy. Because if you can't eat wheat, yeah, you're dead. Yeah, you don't have a chance to pass on right. that gene. Right. Um, I'm not saying that people with gluten allergies should die, uh, obviously, but <laughs> obviously. but I'm just saying that it is a symbol of saying that you know if you ever read you know Freakonomics and stuff like that, and uh-huh. they talk about it, and these are just statistics. Um, that statistically speaking, um, we have found a way for us to overcome certain hurdles and we're not necessarily sure if we should have 
you know, it's the, the conversation that says that uh, whether or not we as a, a society should really pander towards the people who have not made an effort to benefit the society, mm-hmm. you know, um, with it's the idea of criminals and so on and so forth that a life sentence now is 17 years. Like, what in yeah. the world? Yeah. You know, is it worth it for us? And and again, I'd be completely just throwing this out there. Is it worth it? It's a rhetorical question. If it, is it worth it for me to save one wrongly accused criminal by allowing all rightly accused criminals a chance for good behavior? Yeah. Like this type of thought process. Um, I have a, a few good friends of mine that are locked up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hope that when they come out, they've learned their lesson yeah. and they're not murderers. But at the end and of the day... And hopefully they're not put in there for smoking a joint somewhere. That's right, exactly, like something that. like that. Some other stupid victimless crime. But but when it comes down to it, it's like, do, do, do these people who, you know, on their third time getting caught murdering or their fourth armed robbery, you know, and you're like... At this point, you're like, do we need to take the time to try and rehabilitate and stuff like that? Well, the methodologies, just from a practical standpoint, the methodologies of rehabilitation that they have are completely ineffective. You know, I mean, there's this disconnect between what society tries to do and what is actually working. You know, like even in these prohibitive, you know, prohibition of weed and alcohol it doesn't fucking work but we keep trying it like let's keep trying let's keep trying same with the rehabilitation methods they're like well we had this program in place for 30 years and it's has a 98 percent recidivism rate where they all come back you know like with child molesters it's like fucking some astronomical number like 98 goddamn percent of child molesters they let out molest another child you know some ridiculous rate and i'm sure the internet can find the exact rate but it's extraordinarily high and still they don't change the methodology of how they are going to fix that it's like well let's this is the system this is the handbook you know and that's part of the problem with these large bureaucracies i mean if you were in a tribe and someone molested somebody else's kid and you know there you were setting up justice well yeah maybe you fucking cut that guy's balls off if you don't you know like some some major thing has to happen in that smaller setting. The tribe would demand it, you know, but now it's so abstract, you know, it's like abstractly these things are happening. And so we just kind of let it be. I, I really think the more we talk about this and the more we figure it out, and I mentioned this on my last podcast with Rogan, I think the first step to try and fix things, we'd have to get states' rights back in a position sure. of power, you know, because I think... To think that the nation is going to make the right choices, a huge nation, is, is ridiculous. But a state could become cool, you know. And then so that would be a chance to actually start moving mass numbers in the right way. But somehow we got to start bonding together as in a communal sense and take it back a few levels because all of these, in, you know, individuals unconnected to each other except by maybe some, you know, a few chat systems and a few message boards or whatever, all operating. It's just, it allows too much inefficiency to, to take place. And it doesn't allow fluid thinking. 
you know, I mean, bureaucracy moves so fucking slow and everything right now is in this tumultuous time of change. It's not going to be able to ad adapt and keep up and it's going to make some really fucked up decisions. Whereas if we broke it down to smaller units, you know, the smaller units, well, some would fail and some would succeed, but at least there would be a chance, you know. And, and I think you're right also, and you don't think about it in terms of your representative and who's representing you on a national level and who's representing you on a state level. And the thing about it is, the elephant in the room is, you know, is that, do you relate at all to your, the senators? Yeah. <laughs> at all, on any level. And, and myself as, you know, as a, me, as a young urban professional, right, as a yuppie, as it were, mm -hmm. do I relate to uh, Mitt Romney? Do I relate <laughs> to these people? And, and even, and, and what, what it boils down to is that the elephant in the room is that people are, are wanting to be represented, but then at the same time, it's like we have this, this conflict in saying that, well, yeah, we want a president that feels like the everyman, but you don't want that guy to be your leader. I don't want my president to be as smart as on the same reading level as me. I want him to be smarter than me. Yeah. And at the same time, though, that we talk about state, that's the guy that I want to be able to talk to because yeah. you can relate to the problems that we're dealing with because you're dealing with the same problem. You know, the, you're living in the same neighborhood. Yeah. The House of Representatives, the concept of it is great. There's that, you know, there's going to be a representative for this district. I mean, but it doesn't mean shit anymore. You know, like it's just, they're either a Republican or a Democrat and they're going to just put it, be another cog in the goddamn machine. They don't care. They're not going to be able to affect change for their district. You know, what if your representative could make major laws happen and be like, okay, Travis fucking County says weed and mushrooms are legal bitches. And you know, that was their prerogative, their authority, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Travis County would be the fucking most commercially viable county in, in Texas, you know, and people would be going in there and it'd be really interesting what would happen because they would be concentrating. But at least they would have the prerogative to make some impact, you know, to make some rules that could make a difference or at least be an actual change representative. Change something. They don't do, I mean, it's nothing now. It's meaningless. It's an R or a D and that's, right. and that's it, you know. And they just feed back into the machine and they make compromises so that they can get some minute compromise in place the next time. And they just keep this fucking circle of hand jobs going around until, you know, everybody gets fucked. That's right. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's exactly the conversation that we've had, that I've had with multiple people is that it not only is it difficult to, to understand government about how the bureaucracy works. The, it's difficult to even follow, to even research about local government, because just like you said, there's no effort put into it because generally the vast majority of people feel that other than maybe the mayor, they feel that people are, that, that, that the local government is inconsequential. Yeah. Like otherwise, like on Tuesday, I would go down to a bar and be like, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, tomorrow's a city council meeting, man. We're all going to go roll down there and listen to see what they have to say. Yeah. Nobody does that. I, Nobody. I, I can't, there's not a, the, the most educated people in the city, other than the less people with visions of being part of government, you know, becoming mayor or, or, or something, yeah. they're not there. I, I've gone to more city council meetings in this last year than, 
than I've ever been to because of trying to understand what my rights are as a business owner and trying to, whenever there's a vote about parking or something like yeah, that, sure. I would go down there and try to listen to it. But I'm like, I don't see any of my friends there. No. None of these, you know, and none of the, even the movers and shakers are there. None, no. of, none of my friends that, you know, highly successful businessmen, they're, they're like, they, they know what they need to do and who they need to do, what palms they need to shake and stuff like yeah. that. But, but that is not, again, we talk about, we segue all the way back to we're talking about what's glamorous and what's instant gratification. There is zero gratification about that. I don't walk out of those city council meetings and go, because there's nothing, there's nothing you can do. Nothing gets, not even, nothing gets done. I mean, back, back, you know, again, I keep going back to antiquity. Yeah. And we're about out of time here, but I go back to antiquity and I look and the people, you know, they would be in these Senate meetings and they would be in these council meetings back in the, in the Greek democracies because things mattered, you know, like they would be keenly interested in the decisions being made. You know, not always decisions were made, and sometimes there's fucked up emperors and things, and of course, all kinds of things got all fucked up. I'm not saying that it was great back then. You know, a lot of stuff sucked. I mean, they threw they threw their shit out the window out on the main boulevards in Rome. You know, I mean, it's not like a, a, a perfect situation, but at least there was some sense for a while, for different periods, where you know the people who were there were leading, doing their goddamn best to lead the people, and there was feedback. You know. The, the people had feedback to the senators, had feedback to the decision makers there. And, you know, that feedback loop is something we got to bring back somehow. Yeah. My last my last thing I was going to say is that, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. One of the things that that I've always prided myself on is the pragmatism. When I, any of the places, any of the businesses that I've ever run, is that when, when people come at me with a legitimate, especially my employees, even more so my guests, my, my the, the consumers, but come with me with a with a legitimate grievance. I respond to it. Mm-hmm. They see the change. Yep. You know right away. Yep. Like, and people respond so viscerally, so 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 like strong to things that one of the strongest feelings that people get is that my voice was heard. Yeah. As an employee, they sit there and come up to me and say, "CK, it is hot as hell in the kitchen," and then two weeks later, I have replaced my AC unit, fixed it, and now it's 10 degrees cooler. I might have extended my lifetime with these guests, with, with these chefs, by another five years. They're going to be like, you know what, I love working for this place. Yeah. Because my voice was Your heard. voice was heard. Yeah, and I you think, and, we're, and that's not only an issue with government, it's almost an issue with corporations yeah, now. You know, like a comment card to AT&T, you're like... Yeah, I'm sure those motherfuckers <laughs> care about that. You know, they care about my drop Circular call. file count. Yeah, exactly. And But, you know, a smaller unit, you know, you can actually listen to your customers. And I, I've seen that firsthand. I mean, we'll get some customer requests and stuff for on it. And, you know, we'll respond and we'll make a change and we'll address it. And these people are stoked, you know, because we're in, you know, we're, we're, at, we're at a stage that we're, we're big enough where most people don't respond. And when we do, they're like, holy shit, because we're not used to that anymore. You know, we're not used to letting our concerns and our needs be heard, you know, so, well, CK, there's a lot more we got to figure out here, I think. I think this is just the beginning. (laughs) This is uh, the part one, but the, uh, the Virgin podcast, the Warrior Poet Project is in the books and I, uh, I really appreciate you coming out and, uh, that was an honor. Definitely. Definitely going to have to do this a lot more often. So Absolutely. thanks for the, the first people listening in here and, uh, <laughs> right. we'll get our, we'll get our sound and our video and everything up to top notch here and, uh, in a kind of working practice. So, uh, bear with us here at the start and, uh, you know, it's going to be a a long fun ride. I don't, I don't see myself, uh, 
stopping this journey for a long time. So NCK, I, I hope hope you can be here as, as much as you can because this was a really great conversation. Man, as often as you can invite me, man. All right. Sounds Bye. good. All right. Take care. Take care.